0: This episode is powered by denmeditation.com with locations in Los Angeles that normalize meditation and make it available to all. Though meditation is the primary focus, the bigger goal is for people to understand and love themselves, thus creating more harmony in the community at large. To find out more about Den Meditation's teacher training programs, retreats, and all things Den Meditation, go to denmeditation.com. meditation.com Hi, welcome to Den Talks Podcast. This is Hal Rabinowitz. I'm your host, and I am the founder of Den Meditation. I get to speak with Kirby Bumpus today. She is adorable and fun and so smart and an incredible woman. She has been working in public health, where she got her master's at Columbia University, and since then has kind of had this interesting track. She worked for the Robin Hood Foundation. She then got to work at the White House for the Office of the First Lady, Michelle Obama, for the Let's Move Initiative. And we talk all about that, by the way. And then she worked for Under Armour when they worked with My Fitness Pal, And most recently, Sweetgreen actually created a role for her, and she's a head of social impact. So she is bringing food that might be overpriced for people to people in need who can't normally have access to it. She's incredible. She gives us a lot of tangible advice. I mean, literally, there's a plethora of advice of how to get certain jobs, how to trust your instinct, what what to her constitutes a good job for herself. It's not always what people would think the great opportunities are. It can be about who you work for, what the experience is going to be, what she can provide. So She gets all into that stuff. So For people who are always kind of confused about what should I do next or what do I really want to do, this is a great episode for you. She's also just kind of a badass woman and in April she's going to be on a panel with a bunch of other badass women when we do our Den Talks live with female bosses. It's April 25th and we've got Ali Webb, the founder of Drybar. We have Sarah Tuttle, the founder of Olive in June. We have Iman, who's the founder of Sway Media and of course Kirby Bumpus again. So I really hope you like this episode. There's so much good stuff in here. So many good takeaways and let me know what you think.
1: I love that last name. I love it, too. It's, like a, I mean, it's cute. I love my whole name. And yeah, it's I a great name. Like, I am the only. And then I found <gasps> out there's another Kirby Bumpus on the planet. What? Wait, we're
0: here with Kirby Bumpus, and we're finding out <laughs> she's not the only one. We're saying how much we my, love her name.
1: Thank you. My mind was blown. First of all, it's a he. Oh, that is weird, isn't it? My name, <laughs> a lot weird. of boys have my name. It is weird. <laughs> no, I felt better though because he's a few years younger than me. So at least I'm the original. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've spoken. We check in every couple of years. Hey, but how'd on you find media. him? So someone reached out to me on Facebook and was like, I had such a great time this weekend. I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 I don't, what are you talking about? And they're like, we had drinks, we were at the party. And I'm like, I don't know who you are. And they're like, this is Kirby Bumpus, right? I'm like, yes, this is Kirby Bumpus. And then, you know, it took a lot of back and forth and we finally realized that there was a male Kirby Bumpus who was in Massachusetts and I... Define this guy. Wait, but did you not have a picture on your Facebook page at the time? I did have a picture on my Facebook page? So I don't. You're like, oh, what does that say about <laughs> me? <laughs> I know, what does that say about me? But he's a white guy, so I guess the person just didn't look at the picture. Yeah, yeah. But this was back in college, or was
0: really drunk and not paying attention at all. Exactly.
1: um And so, yeah, now we check in every couple of years on like Instagram or um, Facebook.
0: Wait, I love that this like weird friendship has <laughs> actually formed. Yes. Any similarities?
1: Mainly Uh, No similarities. He's a white guy. He lives on the East Coast. He's super nice. He seems to enjoy life, so I think we have that in common. Um, But we just check in and see how each other's doing and make sure that we're upholding the Kirby Bumpus name.
0: I love that. (laughs) I love that you guys check in. It's like, do you you feel this? (laughs) I
1: mean, we are connected for life.
0: Was he surprised too?
1: (laughs) Shocked. Shocked.
0: Now, did they date by any chance? Do you know if anything happened between (laughs) them?
1: That I don't know. Wouldn't it be funny if somehow you're like, I kept them together.
0: (laughs) They found each other. Well, I love that story. So we are here with Kirby Bumpus, who's the head of social impact at Sweetgreen. Tell us what that means. Because I would think some people would automatically feel like it's a social media-like position, which it's not at all. So talk about a little
1: bit What does it mean? And it's a position they created for you, which is amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's a great, great question. Um, I think, you know, when you think about social impact, it really is kind of how businesses are using their revenue for good. Um, So I'd say in the past, people have called it philanthropy or corporate social responsibility. And social impact really means more so like it's baked into the DNA of the company and it's not this separate arm. So I'm working closely every day with the marketing team, the supply chain team, our data team to find ways to make sure that we are, you know, giving back and leaving the planet better than we found it.
0: I love that. Do you feel like more companies are going to start making sure this position exists?
1: For sure. Yeah. I mean, I've met several, um, several people at different companies, whether it's Headspace or even like 21st Century Fox. Um, Social impact is an actual title that is um, on the books in corporate America these days.
0: Now, are you, like, one of the first who had it, or did it exist and then you they created it for you? Yeah, or so, like
1: the, so the social impact role has existed for um, several years before I came, um, and then they, they wanted to elevate the position and um, bring someone on the executive team that focused on um, social impact, so.
0: So talk about how you got here, because you've had quite a story, which I love. And I love <laughs> I that... Do too. And I know, I mean, you should, and I love that they, like, picked you, and there's a reason they picked you for this job. So talk about a little bit where this all began, a little bit of your journey, and like public health and all of it.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny because if you would have asked me a couple years ago, do you see yourself working at a salad company, (laughs) I would have (laughs) said, what? Um, Or even, you know, do you see yourself working at an athletic apparel company? I also would have said, what? So, you know, it really started back when I was, um, you know, middle school and always knew I wanted to help people and wanted to give back and wanted to serve. And I think, you know, in kind of the limited realm of what you think of when you think of those types of careers, you think doctor you think medicine so I kind of was on that track to become a doctor was very much pre-med was focused on psychology and human biology in college and then you know did this internship um, in Harlem at this cancer center so in a you know low resourced community low income um, focused on clinical work where I would go to Harlem Hospital, got to go to Memorial Sloan Kettering and shadow doctors, and then there was this community health component that I really didn't understand what it was, but I was like, okay, it'll get me into the OR and get me to see patients. Um, And I found that I actually loved the community health work so much more than the clinical work. Um, And the community health work really involved going to health fairs and talking to people about the importance of prevention and screenings. And this was 2000. 2005-2006 2005-2006 and so at the time the project I was leading was like very high tech and very advanced and it involved me using a tablet computer that was about oh this my big um, that, was, that had, wi- or had, had 3G technology so And you guys were really on it we were, we were <laughs> on it um, and I could sink into the uh, scheduling system at the cancer center so not only would I go to a health fair and say hey you know it's important for you to get screened for prostate cancer it's important for you to come get a mammography I could say and I can make an appointment for you right here on the that spot. is amazing right so I mean that was a huge deal back then and we found that the um, people one were making appointments and two the no-show rates went way down because people had a connection and people you know kind of made that commitment to me on the spot that they were going to come for the appointment, I'd say, you know, I'm going to call you the night before and I'll see you at the clinic when you come for your appointment. Um, So it was really uh, bringing this patient navigation um, philosophy to life in a different way. So how
0: old were you? 20? I was
1: 20, 21.
0: And this like you said, you were doing this internship mostly for the idea of getting into (laughs) med school, correct? Mm -hmm. So, And it's interesting because it was was something more removed from you too. It's like Mm -hmm. mammographies, prostate exams, Mm -hmm. like these aren't things that a 20-something year old is really concerned about. So tell me about like the moment you started feeling it differently, where all of a sudden you're like no, like something about this is really resonating with me.
1: Yeah, well I mean first I had an incredible mentor and the the doctor that had established patient navigation, um, Dr. Harold Freeman, and I just thought that what he was doing in terms of thinking about patient care outside of what happens in the doctor's office and thinking about the wraparound services for, for people once they're diagnosed with cancer, I just got so excited about the potential to educate people on the what their health behaviors, uh, you know, kind of the importance of healthy behaviors on, you know, the, the impact of not only disease but just general wellness. Um, so... Yeah, it was, it was an incredibly like eye-opening experience. Was surprising it surprising for you? It was shocking. It was shocking because I always thought, you know, I want to be a doctor. And, you know, in truth, when I was sitting in the operating room at Memorial Sloan Kettering and watching a woman who had late-stage cancer have her uterus removed, I was like, This is not what I want to do. (laughs) This is a lot. And really enjoyed the connecting with people in the community and thinking about health on a population level and getting people... Uh, before they were sick and getting people to think about their wellness and kind of their everyday habits and how that builds to something much more important.
0: So how did that shift for you then from that point on, like the choices you were making, whether it be
1: jobs or internships or applications?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, I
1: learned that community health was public health and that that was a whole field that I had never even heard about before. Um, So I started to explore, you know, graduate programs in that space and think about what types of careers existed. Um, And so, you know, from My junior year on, I was then uh, pretty steadfast and knowing that I wanted to do something uh, in the public public health space.
0: That's so so incredible. So when you said, like, before you were someone who always wanted to help people, like, Mm -hmm. can you tell me any moments, like, as a kid, like, how did that reflect as a child?
1: Um... So I've always been a pretty square child. I'd say <laughs> that I've always had like a mom purse <laughs> with the band aids and the oh, You were the one like who took care of everyone on the playground. The, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've always been one of those. <laughs> which is um yeah, a little bit of an oddball, but But you were, and you have a younger brother,
0: you said, who's literally 11 months. (laughs) 11 and a
1: half months, yeah. My brother, Will, and I are like super close in age, and you know, now, um, like, super close. We both live in LA, and um, it's been pretty incredible to get to spend some like awesome time with him as an adult. I think, you know, I'm in a relationship, he's out there single, but it's really cool to spend time together before we each have our own families and we have those other like real commitments. Were you guys
0: close growing up?
1: Uh, it's funny growing up we thought about everything yeah who was gonna take their bath first who was gonna sit in the front seat (laughs) who was gonna sit closer to mom and you know then I think once high school hit we I got my license and had to drive us both to school every day and so started out you know with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder that I had to take my brother to school um and then realized he's not so bad you know Aww. like we spent 20 minutes every morning and then you know after school together like all right you know he's he's actually pretty cool like he's funny he's pretty smart um, and you know ever since we've been we've been much closer but it's we funny. did we were not close growing up my
0: brother and i got really close in college like that's when our like friendship really mm-hmm. began too it's interesting it's mm-hmm. like cuz you start to see them as like a companion like a real people yeah <laughs> right? you're like oh you're actually fun to hang out with cool <laughs> right. um so talk about so you you changed what you thought you wanted to do in life. Mm -hmm. And then you really have done everything from like, you know, now you're at a salad company, as (laughs) you say, sweet green. (laughs) I peddle salad. You've been at Under (laughs) Armour. You've worked at the White House. I mean, you've done everything. So talk a little bit about this idea of, a lack of a roadmap for life. You know, being able to kind of being open and seeing what comes your way because I think you're the first to say where you are now is actually a perfect fit for you. It kind of encompasses a lot of what you've learned along the way. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think what's interesting is Now I can kind of draw a very clear line um, in terms of what's led me to this point, but I could have never put this together had I tried when I was in high school or college or even grad school. Um, I've always gravitated towards roles where, like, one, where can I learn the most? And then, two, where can I have the greatest impact? And each role has focused on health in some way, um, but, again, could not have imagined it. So when I... Um, when I was in graduate school I was doing at graduate school and uh, college I was doing sexual health education and you know knew that I wanted to do health education and teach people about their habits, whether it was safer sex practices and condom negotiation or just trying to eat a little bit healthier. Um, and then when I, is condom um,
0: negotiation, like convincing someone to use a condom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I so, like that there's a term for that. Yeah. I mean,
1: it's, it's real, especially, you know, when you think about high school girls, which that was the population I was working with in college. Um, you know, a lot, it's really wrapped into self-esteem yeah. and body image and just feeling like they have the words to communicate Yeah. With their and partner. if you say
0: this, is it going to ruin everything is it gonna ruin
1: everything or we're not even really in a relationship yet but i think if i have unprotected sex this might get us there but thinking you know and you know as as an adult you know what you're what those young people are exposing themselves to so um you know it's it's arming arming people with the tools to have those conversations um and so you know through that health education work i learned more about um you know, just kind of the whole world of public health and just kept seeking more and more opportunities. Um, So after grad school, I went to the Robin Hood Foundation, where I was able to put my program evaluation skills to good use that I'd learned in grad school. Um, I was a program officer focused in our education portfolio. So I would work on after school um, mental health, based uh sorry after school programs mental health based school clinics um after other after school programs and it was just an incredible um one incredible organization of just really smart people that cared about alleviating poverty and um helping poor new yorkers um and then also just a good place to think about like what makes a really good program um you know most nonprofits are not focused on um uh Business acumen or, or metrics sometimes, you know, I know tends, that's to a problem, the, tends to be the downfall. Um, so it was empowering to work with an organization like Robinhood that would arm nonprofits with like management assistance and board development and all of these tools that most nonprofits are typically uh, weak in.
0: Do you feel like so? For you, it's like taking that next job. It just has to speak to you in some way.
1: Exactly. It has to speak to me and I also have to feel like, one, like I can contribute, I can learn and just make a, a big impact. So has there that's, ever that's been like my guiding. <laughs> I like, and by out. the
0: way, it's a great, and the reason I want to talk about it, I think it's so important because I do think so many people feel like if they don't have the plan laid out, they're not, they're going to get nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes feel like it's the opposite. I feel like if you if you lay it out too much, you're going to get to the wrong place. Right. You right. know what I mean? Because you won't actually see the path you're supposed to take. So that's why I kind of want to dig into it a little bit because yeah. you've had such success in just kind of trusting your gut a little bit. So yes. I want to talk about what that means for you and what it looks like. But also, was there ever a moment where you might have said no to a job that people thought you were crazy for saying no to? Or... turn turn a direction that was just surprising for people or took a job that might have appeared less than what people would expect you to take next or something. Yeah,
1: I mean, so yes to all of those things. Good, (laughs) let's dive in. turned down countless jobs um, and have, you know, I think when I... You took the job at Sweetgreen. People were like, "You're going to go sell salads," <laughs> and you know, I had to do some education around one. This is a mission and values-driven company, and you know, to be in an environment where the founders really care about leaving the planet better than they found it, and um, you know, to be in a position where I can leverage the really smart people around me to do some good um, with you know some of the the revenue that we're bringing in, and also you know the tools and resources that we have at our disposal. Um, So, yes, people definitely thought that I was crazy there. And just going back to something you said earlier um, about taking jobs that speak to me, I think it's also important um, to not just say, oh, yes, that's really interesting. I'm going to go there. Otherwise, you end up with a resume where every year you're in a different place. Absolutely. So, you know, I spent, you know, a year at Robin Hood. I was in government for five years, two years at Under Armour, and now Sweetgreen. So, you know, there's certainly um, different things along my, like, 10 year work history, but I, I think it's, it's important to show that you, um, you are committed. To, lo- to yeah, things. there's like a loyalty and a commitment. You're not it, just, yeah, you ex- don't
0: just jump ship the ex- minute something gets hard.
1: Exactly. The minute something gets hard or the minute something interesting, something else, else pops, interesting yes. pops up.
0: By the way, I can speak to that too, having read a lot of resumes. That always makes me really nervous <laughs> yes. when I see like every year there's a different job. I'm <laughs> like, wait, what? at a certain point, I'm like, it can't be that you hate it all. Like what's happening? Right,
1: <laughs> right, right, So I think that, you know, it's it's an important message to do the things that speak to you, but also be strategic about have you gotten everything that you needed to get from this current role? And if not, like you need to stick with it for, you know, another year, another two years at least, um, and continue to not only learn, but also like, you know, foster those relationships. And um, especially when you stay in the same industry, which at the end of the day, I've been in health now for, for 10 years you know, I run into colleagues all the time and we cross paths and there's always opportunities to collaborate. And so people remember you and they remember that. So just, you know, keeping those relationships close and tight and um, fostering and staying in touch with people is so important. Absolutely. Um, and not just reaching out to people when you want something. That's one of like my big ding, ding, <laughs> pet peeves. Ding, ding, because oh, it's so is, obvious. It's so obvious. <laughs> like, hey, how are you? By the way, Boy. I'm working on this thing. Um, as opposed to just checking in and saying, like, hey, how you doing? Or, um, hey, I just saw that, like, incredible thing you did. Like, it's it's so good to just reach out to someone and congratulate them for something that you see as opposed to just, like, hitting like on social media.
0: That is a hugely great piece of advice for people because I don't think, I think people really underestimate a, how much it sucks to be asked for a million things. Like, if you're asking, yeah. that means a million other people are asking too. So, I'm, I'm with you. It's like, if you actually have a relationship with someone, own right. up to your side of the relationship. Right. And, whatever that means.
1: And I'd say the, the, the other piece of that is also reach out to people when they're going through something. Like, I if someone s- is in, you know, any kind of a, God forbid, scandal or, like, there's a problem, like, the... The thing that can mean the most and what they will always remember are those people that reached out and those people that were there for them. Even if there's nothing that you can do, just say, hey, I saw this news or, hey, I heard this thing is going on. I'm so sorry. I'm here if you need me. A
0: thousand percent. I mean, so I've worked in entertainment forever. So I know what that's about. Like Mm -hmm. we all just are on a cycle of like fired, hired, fired, hired. So and there's always someone going through something. And I remember I always said one of the luckiest things that ever happened to me was I worked at the WB, which like no longer exists, then became mm-hmm. the CW. So my whole department was fired. Mm-hmm. I was one of the youngest, I was, I joke like if uh, if our plane went down, like nobody would know I died because like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It was all like, everyone else yes. who got fired were like EVPs and this, yes. and I was like the little director. Great. So I laughed. Low like, man on the totem pole. I was totally yeah. the low man on the to- to- totem pole. But I always say that was one of the best things that happened to me for so many reasons, but Mm -hmm. mostly because it taught me what it feels like Mm -hmm. to go through that. And I always, from a young age, from that point, anytime anyone was fired or something weird happened Mm -hmm. or was what other people could deem uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. I was always one of the first people to reach out. And I remember when... My my ex-husband, because he was in entertainment too, his boss was getting fired. I mean, everyone gets fired, was getting fired. I remember him calling me.
1: Yeah, you're in a, that was a tough industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: I remember him calling me being like, oh my God, what do I do? I just heard this. They just offered me this, but that affects her. and what? And I'm like go into her office right now, mm-hmm. close the door and be a friend and just yeah. tell her everything you know and be, and he, it was like the best thing he could have done because they ended up having a really great relationship even though it could have been awkward and weird because he was getting offered her job and like, yeah. and I'm like, it's not about you. remember that. Yeah, like you be the decent human being, but I know that all happened because like I knew how it felt and so it was, mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think it's so important to be there for people when they're down. Yeah. Because everyone goes down. Yeah. Everyone, like we all have bad moments.
1: Yeah, and I think to that story, like one of my favorite quotes is in my Angelou quote that's people will forget what you said they'll forget what you did but they will never forget how you made them feel and that is so so true so even if you don't have the words and you don't know what to say just be there for people and they will never forget what that that moment felt like to them.
0: It's so true. Cause even in life, that's just the essence of life in general. Like we all kind of form our stories with whatever details we want. Like mm-hmm. no one's story is a hundred percent. Right. Right. And it's all based on the essence of what you're getting from that moment. So right. whether it's an interaction with a person or a thing, it's going to be how you feel then being translated into words. Right. So you're- if you take it the other way, it's exactly right. It's like how you make someone feel is going to be how they translate everything about you in those moments.
1: Exactly. In 20 years, you know, you're not going to remember every single word that right. someone said to you, But you are going to remember, God, that person really made me feel supported or loved or or cared for. Exactly. Or some kind of joy. Um, So it's just something I I try to always remember, especially in those times when you're really stressed out.
0: When did you read that quote for the first time? Do you Um, remember? And did it hit you the same way when you first read it? Or is this something you went back to?
1: I think I was just fortunate enough to be like told that quote when I was young, like growing up. Um, My mom's always told me, you know, it costs nothing to be nice to people. So just always be nice. Um, You never know, one, what someone's going through. You also never know when you might run into that person again. And you also never know who that person knows. So just be nice. And karmically, it'll come back to you in the end. Absolutely. Um, So I think, you know, being taught the be nice to people and then, um, you know, the, the, the Maya Angelou quote also coming from my mother, um, I didn't even read it anywhere, it was literally told to me from a very young age.
0: Was well, she also, I mean, I, lo- I love that she obviously instilled you know, so much strength in you, it was also part of her, or was this innate in you, this idea of kind of being able to be more open to what comes your way. Like you said, taking chances on, let's say, a sweet green, or saying no to these other jobs that might have appeared as huge opportunities yeah. for other people, but you were okay saying mm-hmm. no to something that might be like a huge opportunity because it just wasn't right. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. No, I mean, she's been very good about being open. I would say that, you know, she comes from a slightly older school of, you know, you don't leave a job without a job. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've, so I've
0: probably... You've I've, made her nervous a few times. So, well, no,
1: I've... I've <laughs> Pretty. I've stayed true to that right. <laughs> for sure. Um, but no, she's she's definitely instilled. A, um, you know, you should do what you love and what you care about. Um, at the end of the day, you know, she always says you are too smart and you have too many talents to be somewhere where you're unhappy or you feel like you're not contributing to something that you care about. Um, so yes, she's always instilled. I love that. Yeah, I mean, it's something that sometimes you know, I found myself sitting at my desk like, you are right, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I am too smart. No, but I. L- I <laughs>
0: I love that because that's that gives you a cushion of mm-hmm. safety of not feeling like whatever you're in, mm-hmm. life, work, relationship, that you're trapped there. Because right. it just right. reminds you, like, no, I have abilities that will be suited elsewhere as well.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, to your point on relationships, um, yeah. Uh, I'd say that that certainly certainly applies. And I feel like I tell my friends that all the time. Um, who are going through something, and I'm just like, you are a bad ass. Yeah. <laughs> like you are the definition of a bad ass. You don't have to be dealing with this. Right? Um, Do they so- listen? sometimes you do (laughs) you can't force them to listen you can't people have to learn their own lessons um but but yes have you felt like many areas that in your
0: relationships like have you had i know you're with someone now yeah but in general have you feel like great is he great is he amazing
1: spectacular yeah is
0: he a little bit of a do-gooder too does he save the world also
1: he he um so he works on capitol hill he um certainly cares about public service and and giving back so that's was that important. important to you incredibly incredibly. I was gonna
0: say how could you if this is so much of who you are like how could you be with someone I guess
1: yeah no I think it's important to be with a good egg I think you don't necessarily want to be the same person you don't want to care about this all of the same things I think it's important for them to bring that kind of diversity of experience and passions to a relationship but at the end of the day you know it was important to me to have a partner that is passionate about something cares about public service um cares about their health because that's so important to me and my every day um and is driven and i feel like i've you know found all those things
0: oh look she's like <laughs> glowing and twinkling can you guys see it it's so cute um do you how long have you been together um
1: about a, off and on two years
0: And he's moving out to L.A., you
1: said. Yep, that's the plan.
0: That's a big deal.
1: It is a big deal. Because he has to switch
0: jobs and all of that, right?
1: Yep, he's got to figure all those things out. I love it. You you got it. I love it. (laughs) You're You're like, you're a badass. You can do it. (laughs) Just say it to him, too.
0: (laughs) Wait, that's really, that's amazing. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. What was your background with either, like, how were you raised, either religious or spiritual? What was your background? Do you feel like that's changed at all through what you Mm -hmm. do and has it influenced how you make decisions?
1: Um, I'd say certainly more spiritual than religious um, grew up kind of you know going to church on the major holidays um, but always having a kind of grounding in caring about others and and service um, so so no not so much not so much religious but very um, very grounded in um, you know just Wanting to do do the right thing and try to do do good by other people, and, and that's that's certainly guided me in terms of the jobs and, and roles that I've taken, and um, hopefully the people that I've attracted in my life as well.
0: Right, and do you feel like it's changed at all, or you feel like when you look back, you've kind of been steadfast with the same beliefs?
1: Um, fairly fairly steadfast with the same beliefs. Um, I've started meditating within you know the last five to ten years, um, I guess I started in college, um, so ten years, I had my ten-year anniversary Yay. last year. Um, How did but, you start in college? Like, what brought you to it? Um, I was taking a course on, I was taking a course on, like, health, and we talked about um, just mindfulness, especially when it came to eating and your, your behaviors, and one of the um, assignments was to do mindful eating, and eat something, eat three different things, um, but spend like two minutes like just chewing and thinking and experiencing the flavors, and I was like, what? I don't, how? <laughs> how am I gonna do this? Um but not only did I think about, you know, the the flavors and you know what I was experiencing, but also like how it made me feel. Um so it was, you know, try something really healthy. I think one of the things was like an in and out burger. Um so it was all different, um, all very different types of food. And it was it was pretty eye-opening for me um because I had just I guess I had just been kind of Bouncing through my meals and not being conscious of, of what I was doing, which is the way I think um, most people operate every day, for sure.
0: So, what do you what did you notice in that first experiment?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I noticed that there are actually a lot of flavors <laughs> in your in your food. I also noticed that when you're tuned into what you're eating and and how you feel, you can make more thoughtful decisions about um, about food and your relationship with it. Um, I'm someone who you know, my health is very important to me, but like my weight has certainly been like a roller coaster from the time I was I was younger. And so it was an eye opener um, in college to think about my relationship with food in a way that I had never done. I had more so just been, all right, I can, I can eat this, but like I have to work out really hard. Um, or I have to take a lot of workout classes as opposed to thinking about, okay, well, why am I actually eating this? Like, yes, it's really good, but am I hungry right now? Or am I actually craving something sweet, or do I just need to drink a glass of water, or like, would a piece of fruit, you know, like satisfy that craving? And um, that assignment certainly opened up, um, opened up a totally different way of thinking. So has it stayed with you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I've, you know, gone through moments where I've probably lost it a little bit and come back to it, like anything. Um, like anything, but. I'd say that what what really brought me back to more mindfulness was, you know, when I was at Under Armour, I was focused on my Fitness Pal and our like digital health community, and logging my meals and every single thing that I was um, that I was eating really deepened my relationship with food. And you know, I'd sometimes look at my um, remaining calories for the day and see, okay, I have. 400 calories to get through dinner, so I'm not going to go crazy. Um, I need to now, you know, like be very strategic and thoughtful about about what I'm eating.
0: So, what would you do with 400 calories for dinner? That's hard. At least for me, that would be really hard. So but I overeat. It,
1: well, <laughs> part of it is just education. I think before, you know, I might throw like an avocado on the plate, but now I know, you know, half an avocado is like 140 calories. Like I'm not going to do that because right. that's Almost half of my meal. Um, So, you know, thinking thoughtfully about, like, a really good protein. So, you know, I'd probably do some kind of, like, veggie stir-fry and a wok with some teriyaki and garlic and call it a night. That sounds delicious. It is. And filling. Do you – are you someone who – do you still log your stuff down?
0: Like, is that now habit from your old job?
1: Yeah. Um, I'd say not so much when I'm traveling. When when I travel, I try to just kind of – just live and be and try new things. But day to day, um, you know, I think logging is so important. Otherwise I just, you know, kind of lose, lose track of it.
0: But I love what you said. There was something about logging that deepened your relationship with food.
1: Very much, very much. Um, I think by logging, I just got so much more thoughtful about what I was putting in my body and, um, not only how it made me feel, but also, like, do I need to eat this much? (laughs) Because now, you know, there's something about typing in, you know, a cup of um – (laughs) 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 M&Ms or something excessive like that um so to just being being more thoughtful about that stuff now you love
0: food right I literally love food do you cook also I
1: love to cook I love to sample things I love to go out to dinner I love to try new places I've been in LA now for um six months we got a lot of good restaurants fantastic restaurants and also so close to like just the supply chain of really good food and everything's in season um it seems like at all times um and so yeah i've just had the best time being out here especially in the winter where you know on the east coast i moved here from dc um you just you can't experience this type of um incredible food supply and i'm especially spoiled being at sweet green and you know we get free free salads and you know our our supply chain is just incredible because we Um, you know work on the our supply chain team works on those relationships with farmers to get the freshest and best ingredients Um, and so you know everything every combination you do tastes really good there.
0: hey you guys just a quick note because we do get asked all the time what are other things we can do we have so many certifications so if you're in the area and want to come and do some live you should really check out our certifications we have our big one that is a 400 hour teacher training certification that is incredible not only if you don't want to be a teacher but if you just want to go deeper in your meditation practice where you learn about all lineages we have all the Reikis one, two, three, and Master we do intuitive healing which is a longer program about learning how to read people intuitively and do readings we also have an animal communications and a self-compassion passion, so many. My point is, check it out. There's ways to dig deeper into your practice. There's ways to get certifications. Go to denmeditation.com and take a look. Sorry for the interruption, guys, but I want to talk about our next Den talks Live event. They have been going so well. They're super informative and also really fun. The next one is Thursday, April 25th at 7.30 p.m. at the La Brea location. We are doing female bosses, and we have some badass ladies coming on. We have Tracy Pacosta. She's the president of entertainment of NBC Universal; Iman Ubu of Sway Media, Sarah Tuttle of Olive and June, Kirby Bumpus of Sweetgreen, and per usual, some amazing gift bags with surprises from all of our sponsors, including Little Web, uja shape house moto yoga and four sigmatic and more we always do light bites and drinks at the end as well so you get a chance to really socialize and talk to everybody and there's a q a so you really do get so much out of this it's always fun we hope to see you there again it's thursday april 25th if you're interested go to dentalkspodcast.com to reserve your space okay so back to the good fight has there any, been anything that you feel like has surprised you that all of a sudden you felt like you needed to fight for out there, whether it be in the public health sector, or is there anything that has just surprised you? You're like, I had no clue I care this much about this.
1: Yeah, um, I think, hmm, I feel like many things have surprised me. One of the things that I found um, most shocking was when I was in the White House working on Let's Move, focused on physical activity and nutrition was looking at school lunches and what kids are eating every day. I think we all have those memories of the school lunch tray and the chicken nuggets. For me, it was bagel with... An absurd amount of cream cheese and then potato chips on top. <laughs> and that was my lunch pretty much every day. But now that you know we know better, so we should be doing so much better with how we're feeding the next generation. And we know that kids' taste buds are developing when they're in elementary school. And so, you know, it, it, to me, I was shocked to think about kind of what we're exposing kids to. Um, in school lunch, which for many kids, this is their only opportunity to get a healthy meal because they 're not getting it at right. home um, or they 're snacking it on unhealthy foods at the convenience stores or um, you know wherever they can um, wherever they can find snacks and so um, to me, that was that was shocking. And I think the, what I find most outrageous now is seeing some of the standards that we put in place during the Obama administration being rolled back. So knowing that in July, uh. you know, chocolate milk and strawberry milk are going to be reintroduced into school lunches, knowing that whole grains are going to start um, disappearing from school lunches. So Right now, it's a requirement that at least 51% of um, grains be unrefined and whole, and that's going to be wiped away come July. So kids can be eating, you know, white rice and white and bread. And why is
0: that? Is it just because it's cheaper? Is it because of connections with certain companies? Like, what is it? Like, what's the behind the scenes that none of it's, us understand? Because for it's, us, it's like, why would they even waste their time on unroll- like rolling
1: that back? It's both. It's cheaper. And then there's also, you know, strong food lobbies behind each of these decisions. So it it it's painful, um, really painful.
0: I, was about, I mean, my next question is be like, have you ever had any major disappointments? Is that is that <laughs> one of them? That's,
1: that's <laughs> a major disappointment <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, but I am I am hopeful in that you know there are a lot of incredible organizations and companies that are you know working to um, change things when it comes to to school lunch. So
0: I know that is really sad. it's really sad. I mean, it the fact is. that there's still like chocolate milk and strawberry milk that that's still there is crazy to me. It is. Ugh, I actually think about it. For me, for our school lunches, I felt like it was always, like, the pizza and the tater tots. Like, I just yeah. remember that all the time. But that was the one we wanted. Like, when yeah. pizza and tater tots were out, we're all like, please, like, everyone lined up.
1: Well, of course. I mean, I think if kids, you know, are exposed to unhealthy food and that's all they know, that's what they're going to want. Of course, yeah. Um, but when when kids are exposed to healthy foods and fresh flavors and get to taste, you know, carrots or um, arugula fresh out of the ground you know I've been to uh, classrooms where kids are taste testing foods and they're like this arugula it's like spicy
0: oh my god and so
1: you know like for for them to like associate and experience food in a a different way and um you know then take those same foods home and also like introduce their parents to them and start to um you know try to drive some of those decisions around what the family is eating it's incredibly exciting but That can only happen when we facilitate those types of experiences with food to happen. So
0: So how was it working in the White House?
1: Incredible. I mean, was was that
0: like when you got that job, was that just like a pinch me please moment?
1: That was like a career highlight and will be a career highlight forever. I think, you know, one, working in such an incredible and historic office, but two, working for... um, you know the president and first lady who walk the walk and talk the talk um, was incredible, and to you know work for first lady Michelle Obama, who really genuinely cared about uh, and still does care about children and their families and their health and their health behaviors, um, it was it, it was incredible. I'd have days where you know it was a long day or a stressful day, and you know you start to you know get tired or frustrated, and you. I literally had to pinch myself and say, I am walking through the White House. <laughs> I am you know, a part of something that is so much bigger than me. I'm a small part of it, but I'm a part of something that is huge in terms of transforming the, the future for the, the health of the country. So just an incredible career experience. Isn't that
0: crazy? Like every day you're walking those halls. Yes. Did yes. you have to like put your stuff through security like every time you were walking Oh, Oh, every,
1: every day had to go through, um, you know, Secret Service and uh, metal detectors and all of that stuff. But, you know, you understand why.
0: I remember I did an internship in the House of Commons. Mm. And I remember I only had one suit. I was lucky I even had a suit because <laughs> as you can tell, I'm not. But I remember l- every day being like, holy fucking shit. It's like you walk in there and I'm like, oh, my God. It's like, hey, the most stunning architecture. And it's insane. And then you'd see like, I mean, just what you see and witness firsthand and you you're like I can't believe this is actually real, and I'm standing here. It's pretty incredible. It,
1: it's it's absolutely incredible, and you also you know have a great appreciation for the Secret Service agents that are there to defend and protect, and just make sure that um, you know you're staying safe every day. And that's their job, and that's what they've been trained to do. Um, so yeah, it was it was eye opening.
0: Back to like the advice you were giving people earlier. Mm-hmm. You've now said it about Michelle mm-hmm. and um, about your, the founders of Sweet Green. Mm-hmm. Is who your boss? Is important to you as far as like either your mentor or the person above you that you're kind of taking orders from is that also a huge factor in your decision making
1: incredibly important I think you know I, I learned that um, throughout different roles just how important it is to ladder up to someone who is in line with um, kind yeah. of what you you care about and what what's most important um, so Yes, absolutely. I think that would be another piece of advice for anyone who's looking at a job or considering a job is really trying to get a good understanding of either you know, what your hiring manager cares about but especially what the founders care about and the decision makers at the company care about. Because if that's not in line with ultimately what you want to do, you're not going to be able to make any headway. Um, and I've been very fortunate throughout my career to have you know a lot of really incredible um, bosses and um, you know CEOs around me.
0: I, I I think that's so important. I feel mm-hmm. like I actually took a few jobs that surprised people, and it was mm-hmm. almost always because of the person I was going to be working for. Because mm-hmm. I always find when I'm working for someone that I don't feel like is smarter than me or someone right. I can learn from, I just start shriveling into like this yucky little beast. It's yeah, like, right. because I like to be inspired and you right. can learn, there's so much to learn from everyone and everywhere. So I do think it's really important to be really inspired by the people above you
1: yeah and when you because are working for someone who you know inspires you it's like you can do so much more
0: absolutely you
1: not only like That's grow and develop professionally but like your work output is just incredible because you, you want to go above and beyond for that person you want to impress the person that impresses you
0: right and also like like anyone you're gonna have shitty days like you said like exactly. you're in the White House and exactly. you're you're gonna be tired you're gonna be pissed off you're gonna be annoyed at that person too sometimes right. so if you're not with that foundation then right. you're You get kind of screwed.
1: Right, exactly. I mean, think about it. If you don't start there,
0: because there's going to be moments you're frustrated with them anyway. Exactly, but
1: sometimes you you can't identify it. Like, if you're not being thoughtful about that, you can just say, God, I'm just so frustrated. But, you know, that's why I think it's so important to think about Who it is that you're surrounding yourself with and who you're working for. And you can be tuned into that and recognize, you know, when you're really frustrated and you feel like you just can't get out of that rut, like what that is. Like it's actually a lot more, it's more deep than the project that you're working on. It's actually, you feel like you're misaligned with that person.
0: Right. Talk about being a woman in the industry. So, for instance, like, as we talked about, I was in entertainment, which is obviously very, not necessarily heavily male, but it's a, it's a male feeling, it's a male culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, everything going on with Me Too that's coming out now. Mm-hmm. Is What is in your industry? Is it equal? Did it feel, did you feel like you had to fight harder as a woman, or is it more female? Part of me was wondering, because inherently it's kind of like a nurturing sector. Mm-hmm. Like, talk to me a little bit about being a woman in that industry.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think... In public health, especially, it's such a female-driven space. Yeah, that's what I assumed. Yes, it is. Um, In grad school, I can't remember the exact um, breakdown, but I think it was something like 70% female. So funny. Um, So it, it was... It, 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 You know, a lot of female energy. I'd say we'd go down to um, main campus. I, I did my master's in public health at Columbia. So we'd go down to main campus a fair amount to study down <laughs> um, where, you know, like the business school and the law school and, you know, just the other graduate programs were so we could get some more male energy sometimes. That's
0: hilarious. Yeah. So yeah. So, you've, uh, so the good news is, but then sometimes they say women can be really competitive. Sometimes women aren't always out to help women. Women, Have you felt that at all?
1: Women can be very competitive. I've, you know, certainly experienced some of that, um, you know, competitive or jealous energy. But, you know, for me, I just kind of I try to kill them with kindness. Um, and I think it's it's a lot harder to be mean to someone who's nice to you as opposed <laughs> to someone who's just like taking it in like, okay, I'm sorry. Um, you I kind of love that.
0: Yeah. It's, it's hard to be mean <laughs> to someone who's being nice to you. It is. At it really a certain is. point. It yeah. really
1: is. It's kind of like, you know, you make the person like, reflect, like, wait, why am I being a jerk?
0: Yeah, it's true. <laughs>
1: um. So, so yeah, I, I come from a kill-em-with-kindness place.
0: Do you feel like... How many times do you feel like you've been up against that? Has there been any, like, pitiful moments that you're like, oh, thank God, I changed that?
1: Y- yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it it just... Inherently happens when you have um you know a fair amount of women. But I I also think I've been very fortunate to be, you know, surrounded by great female role models and also um you know I try to lift up um you know women that are younger than me or you know in internship like positions. Like whenever I um go to an event, if I don't have a plus one, I try to get a plus one so I can bring a former intern or you know a younger. Um, I love that. I think it's it's so important to open up those spaces and rooms and networks to um, you know people that have minimal exposure or opportunity to walk into those spaces so yeah I mean my former interns at the White House have come <laughs> come to me, come with me to to many events and many conferences and, and all kinds of stuff. Oh my god you probably made their day. Yeah, I mean, we have the best time together because, you know, at the end of the day, we're both we're both learning something, yeah. different things, but, you know, we're both uh, getting exposure to something different. Especially
0: new. from the White House. Tell me, what do you feel like you learn the most? Because I know you also worked, you were there when the Affordable Air, uh, Act, afford, sorry. Affordable Care <laughs> Thank Act. Thank you. Okay, yes. I'm like, Air Act? I'm like, that makes no sense. Affordable Care Act started, correct? Yeah, so, right? so
1: I was at the Department of Health and Human Services when the Affordable Care right. Act started, which is where the Affordable Care Act like came out of. Um, it was, birthed. It was birth. Um, So I'd say there I learned a lot about um, the federal uh, health system. I think it was, you know, I started there in 2011, which is, um, you know, right after the Affordable um, Care Act was passed, but we still had, you know, lots of changes and amendments to make. And there I learned a lot just about like the process and like how, um, how decisions are made, how changes happen, and, you know, what what federal government looks like. I think w- growing up, I never imagined that I would be a, f- a Fed, work at a federal um, admi- a federal agency, um, but learned that uh, you know there's some like incredibly you know I- I'd always thought of it as very like archaic, and b- going on the inside and and you know really working. At a federal agency, I learned that there are just some brilliant people making policy and, you know, who care deeply about, um, about change and about improving the health of Americans. And so it was, you know, just an eye opening, eye opening experience. But in terms of lessons that I learned, um, we were very much building the plane as we were flying it um, at the White House. And um, In the um, Office of the First Lady, it's a very small team. And so, you know, we weren't working on Syria or wars, but we were working on, um, you know, girls' education initiatives. We were working on physical activity and nutrition. We were working on um, initiatives for, um, you know, veterans and their families. And that, to me, was just an, an incredible lesson on having a fairly small team and doing a lot of really incredible work and like I said, building the plane as you're flying it.
0: I love that. What about the notion of like the hard decisions that have to be made? Mm -hmm. Like how does that come in? Because I mean, what you do is so amazing and it has such a beautiful outlook on life and just wanting to help, but especially like in government when there's like a budget Mm -hmm. and certain things, how does that all come into play? Like learning those lessons or those harsh realities of basically not everyone's gonna be happy at all times.
1: Yeah. I'd say i I truly learned that at the <laughs> Department of Health and Human Services you know when um, I was reporting into the Assistant Secretary for Health, and he had several offices and several commissions underneath him, and so he had to you know approve all kinds of plans and budgets and recognizing that people were coming into the office you know hour after hour with their proposals and their plans, and realizing like these are all great ideas, but like, we're not going to be able to do all of them. And Mm -hmm. so the importance of prioritization and, um, thinking about, okay, what has the best chance of moving the needle forward and, you know, putting your, um, putting your sights there.
0: That's interesting. Like, so it's like, how can you be strategic still in a positive way and not dwell on like what you can't do and just be really excited about what you can do. Exactly.
1: And putting the energy and the resources behind what you can do and what you can accomplish.
0: What's been your biggest disappointment? what we talked about earlier, like (laughs)
1: school, probably, um, you know, what I see happening with school lunches is certainly, um, certainly a massive, massive disappointment. How, so through working, but I am hopeful about the future. I love, (laughs) but I I am hopeful. I swear I am because I know that there are enough smart people that care about this, that, you know, things have got to change. Is that hard for
0: you to do something like that where you're, I mean, that must be hard to just in general in politics because the administration's changed, but I'm sure this happens like anytime you leave a job because so much of your job is about action. Right. Is it hard when you see something you've done kind of unravel and there's really nothing you can do from where the position you're at now?
1: Absolutely. And, you know... It- gave me greater empathy for administrations before me. But, you know, to see the Affordable Care Act start to get changed and then to see school lunches start to shift. And, you know, I spent five years in government um, and those were some issues that were near and dear to my heart. So to see changes being made there, that that certainly certainly was tough. Um, but it, it gave me greater empathy for like, this is how government works, yeah. you know? Like this is, um, you know, for better or worse, like we, we, we have a system in place where, you know, changes and amendments can happen. Constantly. Exactly. Sounds
0: like it's like we're building and building, building and building. It's like build it, tear it down, build it, tear it down. And then at some point, one thing sticks, I guess. Um, how has, in working in this industry, how is mm-hmm. your point of view, I mean, because you've done so much and you've been on the inside for so much, how has your point of view of the world changed?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think sweet green has really opened my eyes to the food system and mm-hmm. the importance of transparency and um, Appreciating and knowing where your food comes from, I think before this role, I just kind of—not that I thought food appeared on my plate—but I didn't think about, you know, for most restaurants, and luckily it's not like this at Sweetgreen. It's just, you know, they they call a distributor and they kind of send their um, their carrots or their cherry tomatoes or their kale from wherever it comes from, and there's no relationship or connection to the farmer and the person that's growing it. Um, and what I've learned in this role is the importance of, you know, our supply chain team, which fosters and, you know, manages those relationships on a day-to-day basis so that they're working with the farmer to ensure we're not only getting the best ingredients and the freshest ingredients, but we're also working with them and our culinary team to come up with menus each season that reflect what they can grow at the right quantities and like what's in season.
0: Oh my God. So you're constantly like helping each other, which is nice. Yeah. So it's not just like, oh, well, you don't have this for us this year. Well, we're moving, going elsewhere.
1: Exactly. Um, so the importance of that relationship, and I'm just, you know, kind of in awe of that supply chain team because um, so much of what they do is not only making sure that, you know, great ingredients show up on the menu, but also that those, uh, those menu items reflect what makes the most sense for the farmers that are growing it. What's
0: something else, like, we all need to know about, like, the food industry? Something um, that like most of us just don't know, and we should know.
1: Yeah, I'd say the importance of transparency. I would also say thinking about you know added sugars and some of the things that are in your food that you um, that you may not have paid any attention to. So one of the things that blew my hmm. mind when I came to Sweetgreen is how you know we make our own hot sauce. Like so, we used to use sriracha, and then the team discovered that there's actually added sugars in sriracha so the culinary team sat down and figured out how to make their own hot sauce and used roasted carrots to sweeten the hot sauce instead of adding sugar wow my mind was blown yeah i mean you know it's like those kinds of innovations that are um thinking thinking differently about about food and just being smarter with food um also our teams worked with Sir Kensington to reformulate mayonnaise to ensure that, you know, we're using mm. a mayonnaise that doesn't have. Mayonnaise is
0: like the only thing I really don't like. I'm like, <laughs> just the idea of it always. It's so funny. <laughs> I don't know why, but keep going. Yeah,
1: you know, so we we use mayonnaise in, you know, a few, a few of our dressings, um, but ensuring that that is like the best quality possible. Um, so, yeah, it was just kind of blown away that, um, that companies are, are, very few, but companies are starting to think about that.
0: So you coming into this role that was kind of created for you, mm-hmm. do you feel the pressure? Were you nervous? Excitement? Like what?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I them? think I would be like crazy to not feel pressure and not be nervous. Um, but I, you know, honestly, these days, I think, like, the biggest pressure is, like, are my ideas big enough? Because, wow. um, you know, there's such excitement and enthusiasm and, like, passion for us to do some really incredible things and, um, you know, not only transform the food system, but when it comes to social impact, you know, what, what I recognize and what our founders recognize is that, you know, our mission is to Build healthier communities by connecting people to real food. At the end of the day, we sell a $15 salad, and that is not accessible for the vast majority of the country. And so when it comes to social impact, we're thinking about ways to expand food access and how do we you know, allow more and more people to have um, you know, exposure and the opportunity to experience fresh, real food. Um, so we partner with organizations across the country that double food stamps or double WIC benefits, which are nutrition benefits for mothers. Um, we've done a a community development project in South LA where we took what was once a liquor store and we worked with the LA Food Policy Council through this incredible program that they have called the Healthy Neighborhood Market Network and they partnered us with um, this this liquor store called Hank's Mm -hmm. and we... You know, went in there kind of HGTV style, gave them a new roof, a new refrigeration system. And then our our design team um, that works on the design for our restaurants went in and worked with um, the, the daughter of their own owner. Her name's Kelly. And, you know, came up with an aesthetic that speaks to the community and, you know, uses colors that... Um, you know that resonated with Kelly, and you know they had have a whole mural outside, and we created a community space within the store. And it's you know not much bigger than you know this area that we're sitting in now, but it's a table with six chairs that they've been able to use for birthday parties and book clubs, and now they're doing nutrition education classes. And so this know, is all in the liquor store. This is all. I love that. <laughs> it's now it's now a convenience store I or, or mini market. Oh. Um, but yeah, and so we've now turned that space into more. of, of a food access hub and more of a safe space within the community that, you know, I think Kelly's just coming up with all kinds of ways to use that space um, for good in her community.
0: So you do. I mean, you're such an amazing human and you have like <laughs> so much poise and like, it, it's incredible, like your outlook, I love it. And you had a very successful mom, Gail, your Gail King's daughter. How was that being raised? I mean, I feel like, you. no, I mean, what's amazing is you are you, clearly you on your own, but did you feel the pressures? Did did that almost push you to kind of do your own stuff?
1: I mean, I guess, you know, most people don't want to do what their parents do, (laughs) typically. Um, But I think, you know, my mom has just always been such a hard, like, incredible worker. I think she's super smart. She, you know, anchored local news since before I was born, and so, you know, that's kind of all all that I've known. So I don't even I don't even know what that would possibly be like. But I'd say in terms of how it's influenced me is just, you know, at this point, I'm thirty-two, she's sixty four, she's literally double my age and sleeps half the amount that I do. Oh my God. And I mean she has to be up at four AM every day, um, to anchor the news. And so, you know, I, I just like I bow down in that I think, you know, she inspires me every day to wanna do more and like push myself harder and um, you know, just try to do as, as much as I can with everything that I've been given, which has been, um, I've you know already lived an incredible life and just wanna do, do as much as I possibly can.
0: So if you have one piece of life advice for people, what would it be? Um,
1: hmm, one piece of life advice, I would say, like try to stay positive. Like I think that people really people remember um, like I said how you made them feel and like if you are a Debbie Downer (laughs) like no (laughs) one no one appreciates that like no one wants to be around that and it's okay I'm not saying like you shouldn't have a down day or you shouldn't get upset but like there's in most days there's a lot to be happy about and a lot to be grateful for and so I'd say like try to try to stay positive I one of the another great thing that my mom has done uh, for both my brother and I is had us keep a a grateful journal. And so, like from the time we were little, we were writing five things that we were grateful for. And like, how old some, were you when
0: she implemented that?
1: Um I was probably around the age of eight. Um, wow, but it was like this beautiful book, and, you know, something that I like got excited to write in every night. And sometimes, you know, my uh, the one of the things I was grateful for was, breathing or going to school or I'm about to go to bed. I would literally write that. Um, but it was, it was that moment of gratitude and, and um, putting pen to paper on those things that were meaningful to you and made you think more thoughtfully about like, oh gosh, I can't come up with anything to be grateful for today. Like I need to be more thoughtful about my day tomorrow. Um, and so, yeah, I think um, positivity and, and gratitude will get you really, really far.
0: I love that you each had your own book. Yes. Yeah. That's so sweet. And, yeah. you, and you still do it. Yes. Yeah. Different book. Like, did you fill T- it? T- <laughs> <totally different. laughs> Gone through many books. <laughs> but I love it. You still do it. Yeah. And did yeah. she, when you were little, would she check on it? Was it something like she would initially, check on and make you do?
1: Initially, she had to check on us. Um, and then it became something that we actually enjoyed doing. Does your brother still do it? I think so. You should I'm ask. Pretty sure. And please report back cuz okay. now I want to know if it like <laughs> okay. stuck with both of you.
0: Cuz I do I agree. Look, I'm a huge everyone knows I talk about it all the time. I'm really big on gratitude. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think even like writing it down as a kid, like you said even if it's I'm going to bed, you're just training yourself for one at least for a moment right. to actually, you know, bring up feelings of positivity and like training your muscles in anything is hugely important so like you said whether you're switching the relationship of food and learning how to think about it differently Mm -hmm. or whether you're taking a moment to even bring in the energy of positivity like that only helps you do it more and more and more and more every day
1: yeah and it makes you smile I mean like there were some days where I would write down like I said something really smart in class today and like I'd get really excited and like that moment of pride like washed over me all over again so talk
0: about the days that like sucks like I don't know you went to school everyone hated you that day or yeah I mean We've all been there. I yeah. feel like you're the kid who's ostracized for the day, and like you don't yes. want to go to school the next day. Like you'd still find a way to come up with five.
1: Yeah, they might have been weak, but I came yeah. up with five. Yeah,
0: I love that. Oh my god, I love that. So let's get to your four uses. So four mm. quick answers, good okay. takeaways for the audience. Okay. What's your current obsession?
1: So I have so many obsessions. Can I have, oh, more, can I have more than sure, one? Sure. I love it. Okay. So my first one is Sichuan.
0: And just so you know, your next one's food, drink, or object you can't live without. So there might be one for that too out okay. of your obsession list.
1: Okay. Uh, <laughs> Sichuan. Uh, one of my brother's friends just started this uh, like whole line of Sichuan spices and I'm obsessed. Like I've been putting this like Sichuan uh, spice and oil on my eggs. I've Ooh. been putting it on salmon. It is so good. So that's probably obsession Kay. number one. Love it. Session number two is Ear Hustle which is, have you listened to this podcast? No. Oh do my tell us. goodness. It is taped in the San Quentin prison.
0: Oh, I would love this. And
1: it's hosted by a prisoner as well as a volunteer within the prison. And they interview prisoners and talk about things like, um, what's it like Picking your cellmate? What's it like on death row? What is it like, you know, when you are about to go to get out and it's you're going through re-entry? Um, what are conjugal visits like? I mean, they talk about all of it. it and they get all these different prisoner perspectives, and it's from the inside and taped in the prison. So that I'm I'm just obsessed and like fascinated by the criminal justice system and what that experience is like so good for prisoners. So, so good. Okay. That's my obsession. So what's your
0: food drink? Would that be? I guess that would be part of the session. Or do you have a food drink or object you can't live without?
1: <laughs> um, so this is not, doesn't sound very healthy, but ribeye. I love a good ribeye steak.
0: I love that. I love that this is good. <laughs> it's so good. Just is there a place that you particularly like, whether it's here or from D.C. or?
1: Honestly, I mean, I love to grill. So I love to just grill my own ribeye. How do you prepare it? Oh, so <laughs> I pre-sear each side. Yep. A little garlic, a little rosemary, black pepper, and um, I can never pronounce it, but Worcestershire sauce. I know I'm the worst (laughs) out of two, but that sounded good. It's spectacular.
0: Yum. I love that. Okay. What's the first thing you do when you wake up?
1: Um, Drink water. I mean, I drink like a massive Nalgene of water that I keep by my bedside.
0: I need to do that. I'm really bad at drinking water. (laughs) I mean, it's a
1: great way to start the day. I know. Because you've, you know, minimum, you've got three glasses before you even start. And um, yeah, it just feels so much better. Say that
0: again. At minimum, you have, what does that mean? So
1: like three glasses of water. So So the Nalgene nalgene is like 32 ounces. So you drink that whole thing before you wake up? I drink almost the whole thing.
0: Before you get out of bed? Yeah, you like put my whole day to shame before like two minutes of being awake. I'm like, it's I, just
1: water. But even if, even if you just start with a glass and see how you feel. I'm so impressed. Start oh my with God. A I'm glass. like, you drink that
0: whole thing before
1: you get <laughs> I drink an absurd amount of water. No, I mean, by the way,
0: and her skin is like perfection. So, water and We all sunscreen. know what I'll be doing tomorrow. I'm just kidding. I do do the sunscreen, but that's because I'm like see through. Um, favorite self care hack?
1: Um, oh, I always have tea bags with me. So that sounds kind of weird, but. Um, I travel a fair amount. and so when I'm on planes, I like to just get a glass of hot water and I'll just do you know some mint tea. And it's just like a nice little, like, refreshing thing to have on the plane, especially since when you're traveling, you know, you can get just like kind of like bloated and retain water, and mint tea just kind of helps with with all of that.
0: Now you're speaking my language. I love tea.
1: Me too. So
0: I'll do that. I will bring. I never bring tea bags with me. Mm -hmm. I also find, and this might be,
1: if I pass a little tea station in a hotel, you better believe I'm taking some. Yeah. No.
0: Me too. (laughs) I remember when I was really little and I went to camp in Israel and I hurt my eye mm. and... Um I like couldn't open my eye, and they gave me a tea bag. Like they warmed the tea bag up, and they had me put it on the eye, and it really helped. Oh, interesting! And weirdly, I've never. You think I, I've researched everything? It's funny, I've never researched it. I'm sure people. People, if you know, let us know. So yeah, now, every now once in a while, super curious. when something's like like every once in a while, if I get like a rash or something, like I'll put a tea bag on it, and it sometimes helps.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay, I'm gonna have to try. Just that. To like
0: if you're a lover of tea, why not? You have I, them around all the time. So there you go. I've
1: got the bags. I
0: know. <laughs> so this you're amazing, and we're gonna do her personal practice, so nobody like tune out. But like, thank you for coming. And sharing and I mean especially you gave us so much advice on people who just are in I, there's so many people who are just even people who've been in a industry for a long time there's a lot of confusion on like where to go what choices to make and I think you've shared so much that is so helpful and you guys and if you liked it we are doing a panel in April so look mm-hmm. it up um female bosses she's I'm so excited it's be, and great company to we have Ali Webb from Dry Bar yes and we have We have Sarah Tuttle from Olive June and Iman from Sway Media. I mean, it's going to be incredible. So if you want a powerhouse of women that can really help give advice and also just are super connected to the world in a great way that we are you know, in envy of, please come and join us. It's another Den Talks Live. Um, so thank you.
1: You're thank you. a pleasure. Are you going to wear you. this when we do our panel? <laughs> I might be. I like I, it. It was explained to tell that I thought the panel was today and so I came all gussied up for the podcast. I know, but if, you, if, you can, if you're watching this
0: versus just listening, she looks beautiful. You and, may
1: see this again. And I look
0: like a wet dog. So like, <laughs> one of us did not think it was the panel. <laughs> You're amazing. Thank you so much, Kirby. Thank you. And maybe the other Kirby's listening too. So, hi, Kirby Bumpus. I'm going to send this to him. Yeah, send it to him. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it.
0: So, now Kirby's going to lead us in our personal practice.
1: Thank you. So one of the things that I love to do, my family's instituted this kind of selfie a day practice where it's my mom, my brother and I on on a text chain and every single day we have to send a selfie. So, you know, for example, The other night, it was my brother sitting at the chair in the dermatologist's office. And that to me is so much more interesting than if he just texted, I'm at the dermatologist's office. Or my mom sending a picture from, you know, a taping that she was at in Times Square. Or, you know, sometimes it's just me on the couch saying, hey. Um, But I, I think it's just such a great way to reconnect and, you know, share a little bit of insight into your day. And like make it interesting and also like it's good to see like the faces of people that you care about um so it's it's a it's a great way to great way to check in and i highly encourage it for you know girlfriends uh family friends um it's just it's a nice nice practice and brings a, a smile to my day a couple times a day
0: 10 talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people nicole Rappi, reem edon hayden